For those who don't know me, my name's Dan. I'm married to Fia. Been serving um, informally at this church for the last uh, two years. Really love missions. Uh, I often pray with Claire and Margie's prayer team. For many of you guys, on Monday nights, we've seen some amazing, um, really incredible miracles, baby miracles and cancer miracles. And uh, it, God is certainly moving. Uh, God answers prayer. We have a tiny family, um, a little baby boy, Joseph, who many of you guys um, prayed into being. When, when uh, my wife was very sick last year, he's no longer a baby. He's beginning to... Um, put dummies in the toilet, uh, <laughs> smash glass jars of herbs in the kitchen, <laughs> spices, change the gears on my car. I don't quite <laughs> unpack the dishwasher. Last week, I t- he loves trains. Last week, I took him onto uh, you know the cockle train, and I thought, wow, he's going to love this because he loves Thomas the Tank Engine. And but we go into the train, and he's just he's just like, right, am I? Am I actually inside Thomas? <laughs> and so I bring him right up to the engine, and the driver goes, and then he's just crying and screaming, and oh, it's scared him so. Oh, anyway. Um, so the topic for today this is the second part of our series on values. These are values that were endorsed by the Elders of Hills in 2018 um, servant hearted, uh, generous and authentic. I'll major on servant-hearted. I'm going to use um, the incredible story of Elisha at the time that Elijah is uh, translated to uh, unpack that with you guys. So servant-hearted, generous, authentic. Does Does this remind you of anybody? Do you want to go on with him? Do you want to finish well? During my training at the at the RA, um, I've I've often ha- I, I, at night I would get the privilege of speaking with uh, believers with terminal illness while you're taking blood or something like that. Many of them having deep peace and joy. And I would ask them, I would say, "What are you most looking forward to on the other side?" Do you know what many of them say? They say, "I want to hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful.'" God's grace is so deep that not only does he save us from our own selfishness and brokenness, but he actually wants to make us worthy of our calling that he will feel proud of us when we enter the throne room. Isn't that incredible? That's real love. The way you're proud of your kids when you see them get a sports trophy or something like that. That's the father we serve. He wants everything. He desperately wants us to get to the Jordan so he can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, Before we pray and read the passage, I just want to share some encouraging news. Put up your hand if you care about the future of Afghanistan. Uh, I certainly do. I was serving Afghanis in in California the last, we prayed for six years and then finally two years, an Afghani church was born. There's now nine believers. See that guy in the red shirt, Mehdi? Uh, He's now their pastor. Um, There's been a lot of Iranian Persians come to Christ the last 20 years, but this is just the beginning, I tell you, of the Afghans. We need to pray for them. This guy, he was in, this guy, Mehdi, he was in Kandahar, right? He was in Kandahar and he was beginning to pray. And one night, 
I don't know how this works, but one night the legs of Christ basically came into his room. It was very unusual. And these guys have this crazy vision. He saw, he knew that Christ was standing next to him. There was just this massive white thing, person in his room. And all he said to him was, go tell my people the in jail, the gospel. Go tell my people the angel. That's all Christ said to him. But in that one encounter, his life, it's like a pool commission. And from then on, he's just been bringing as many possible Afghanis to Christ. And he's just got a heart of gold. And he's been beaten up, persecuted physically by his own people in California many times. But in love, he just continues to go back uh, and serve. And we've got to pray for these guys. There's, you know, Kilburn Community Centre. So there's two Afghans that have just come to the Lord. They still have problems. Abbas and his friend, and they're the first two that we know of here in the community center. But they're coming to a, a church because they speak Dari, which is the same as Farsi. So somehow God in his wisdom has brought all of these Persians to Christ and to Adelaide and to Sydney and other places. And they're now able to disciple and worship. And all of the songs are already written that the Afghan can understand. Hallelujah. Um, I, know, I know of some guys working in Melbourne near, um, near the uh, Dandenong Ranges where there's a whole lot of Afghans. There's many Christians, uh, apparently, apparently new Afghan Christians in Sydney. There's three, four Afghan underground churches I know of from Turkey. I do Zoom meetings sometimes with Persian refugee believers. So God is beginning. God is beginning a mighty work. We've got to pray for these guys, stand with them uh, and... Um, uh, in fact, let's, let's do that right now and we'll pray for the word. Father, thank you for the good report. You are shaking. Yes, you are shaking the nations. But Jesus is stronger than the Taliban. We just declare that right now in Jesus' name. The love of Christ is greater than the fear of the Taliban. And we just ask every single one of these precious new ones who represent in their loins the nations, we pray you protect them, Father. We pray, Holy Spirit, heal them from the brokenness and the trauma. Multiply the churches, Father, in, in Greece, in Turkey, Sydney, Melbourne, and right here in Adelaide, Father. Give the, the Persian believers wisdom in discipling these guys out of the fear and the trauma that they have known. And Father, we pray anything of you that I speak today, let the words of my lips and meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Amen. So a little background for two kings, one and two kings. It was a really dark time for Israel, northern kingdom, Elisha and Elijah. Elijah was in charge of these underground believers. They were called the sons of the prophets. And they seemed to be hidden in different cities. But the king, Ahab, and his wife was a real piece of work. And she was propagating an anti-God doctrine. So the media at that time was actually trying to force you never to have a relationship with God. And she would use her authority to take land from people. And, and she would murder people using her authority so other people could have land. She wasn't an even Israelite. She comes from Lebanon, Tyre, if you want to know. They had this really weird ritual where the prophets would cut themselves in like an insane frenzy, hoping that there'd be better Rain would come and fertility would come and the land would be blessed. I shouldn't actually tell you this, but it's true. That festival goes on right now. It's called the Asherah. I've seen it in Lebanon, South Lebanon. She is. They cut themselves and it occurs on the Day of Atonement. And 
There's an organization that I won't mention that I believe is occultly linked to that ritual. Lebanon's a lot of trouble at the moment. Anyway, what's freaky about this time in history is the darkness is, 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 is extreme and there's a drought over the land, but somehow these, it's like Star Wars. There's this hidden force with these guys that, that almost miracles occur amongst them on a daily basis. There's a real sense that God is working with axe heads just float to the top of the river while they're trying to build their little school, you know, to teach people about Christ. Um, there's, there's miracles of, of oil. There's miracles of bread. Um, they really have this sense that God is secretly the true king working with them, even though they're very small in number. And, and Elijah goes through a time of depression and fear, doesn't he? And in that time, God says, no, you go and, you go and appoint Elisha to be your successor now that you're getting old. So I just wanted to, um, the, just wanted to show this very interesting prelude verse back in 1 Kings. It's a very small verse. So after Elijah goes to his house and he says goodbye to his mum and dad, kisses his mum and dad, slaughters some oxen, they have, have a meal, it then says, then Elisha arose and followed Elijah and began to minister to him. It's very interesting. We, in the West, we think of ministries like, oh yeah, I do a prison ministry, I do you know, soup kitchen, I do children's ministry, I, you know, I have a ministry of outreach to the Afghanis. In the Bible, more often than not, a ministry is to a person. This is, very, this is deep. So scholars reckon for about six years, as Elijah was getting old, Elisha was just going around with him. He'd probably fill his water bag, repair his cloak, his mantle, collect a bit of firewood, make some pottage, some stew of sheep, goat, meat. Probably waited while he was praying on Mount Carmel. Just protected him, kept watch at night from Jezebel's bandits and things. It was all very mundane, very practical. But that's what, he was, that's what he was called to do as a servant of Elijah. And it doesn't seem spiritual. I, I don't think he was doing the big miracles and preaching and things like that at that time. I think he was just humbly. Um, I had a, when I was in California, the last six years of my time there, I had the honor of meeting an Arabic pastor, incredible Arabic pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's a massive city, more than 7 million people. And very few Christian churches, very few Christian pastors. And he was the only Arabic pastor in the entire California. And I loved, and I really loved him, and he taught me a lot. Um, and there was, there was a certain point in his ministry where it was really flourishing. The needs were just incredible. And he said, Dan, I need you, I need you right here with me. Just for the next few months, I need you here with me to go to Burger King for me, make a subway plan lodging, be a GPS, let me sleep while you drive. It wasn't just me, it was two other guys as well, Randy and, and, um, and Stu. And, 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 and I did it happily. But now looking back, I realise as I was serving him, something of Pastor Ziad's love for the Arabs and the Muslims has been put into, into me. So let's have a look at the, 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 the scriptures in, in 2 Kings chapter 2. 
So when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, as you do, (laughs) that's why the Jews think this guy is still alive, because he's never actually died. The last verse of the last book of the Old Testament says, I'm going to send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the... Amen. Fathers to the sons, sons to the fathers. If anyone knows something about the fatherhood of God, it's Elijah. But embedded in that is this deep relationship between Elisha and Elijah. It's not superficial. But it's not physical. It's a spiritual relationship of intimacy. Uh, Next verse. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel. See how there's these secret believers in different towns? It's not all over came out to Elisha and said, oh, do you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? And Elisha said, yes, I know, be quiet. <laughs> He's already getting some authority over these guys. Okay. <laughs> then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. See how there's this heart testing going on? See how there's this testing going on? Elijah secretly wants Elisha to get to the Jordan with him when he's translated, but he refuses to force or manipulate, bribe or scare tactic Elisha to get into the Jordan because God will never override our freedom because we're made in his image with sovereign beings. We're not animals. Have you noticed God has never once overridden your choice to serve him, to choose him? He's never forced you, never manipulated. The only currency of the kingdom of God is the cheerful, freely given, voluntary service of the heart of Christ. That's the only currency that the new heaven, the new earth. So it's very important that Elisha gets to the Jordan himself informed consent decided he wants to go on and be the next leader of the prophets. So what's strange, and and God can do, have you noticed God can do this with us? We might finish a season and he'll, he'll almost say, okay, you can stay here. You can. You can stay at Gilgal. You can. You can stay at Jericho. I'm going over here. I'm actually going over here. You can stay there. And he see, God secretly wants us to go over here to the Jordan, but he doesn't want to force us because he wants our heart to be true. You see how deep God is? But this is a testing. And all of that menial task of Elisha looking after Elijah is about to be activated as the, as the spirit is transferred from Elijah to Elisha. But every single part of that menial, breaking bricks, making a fire, walking with him, all of that menial mundane that wasn't spiritual, that's the gold that transforms us in the glory. Amen? You want to go high, you've got to go low. Jesus has gone lower than any of us. That's why he deserves to be at the top. Amen? But it's not easy. You can get, you can get confused in that mundane part and think, what's the point? 
Now, you'll notice Elisha, in all his replies, he always says, as the Lord lives. And this is a really important doctrine that these guys seem to keep as a core value. They believed that the true king was not Jezebel or Ahab, but it was actually Yahweh, God of Israel, who was alive, as opposed to all the dead. In, in my limited years of, 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 of layperson ministry, I've noticed people with burnout somehow lose the connection that they're standing before a living God and everything just becomes formulaic, robotic, like a computer algorithm. The greatest predictor for burnout in the medical and nursing world is protocolization. Remove the choice, remove the volunteeriness, remove the love out of the doctor, they're burnt out like an anaesthetist in three years. We're not, let us not dehumanize religion and, let, oh, sorry, faith is a better word than religion. And, and let us preserve that we're serving and living. No one else is, in, I'm not, in, Mark, Craig, no one's in charge here except the living Christ. Hallelujah, amen. That ain't boring after a while. And if you knew the significance of your mundane serving, whether it's coffee or cleaning toilets or getting here for worship or whatever you do it in your home life or your work, you if you realized you were standing before the living God, it wouldn't be so mundane. So the other thing Elisha continually says, he says, as the Lord lives, I will never leave you or forsake you. Does that remind you of any other scriptures? You can see how he's actually a type of Christ here. What does Christ say after he's rose from the dead? Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Remember Ruth and Naomi? So there's something we miss in the West, but part of the power of that anointing falling on Elisha is the fact he refuses to leave the, he refuses to leave the side of Elijah. It's, it's as a marriage covenant, if not stronger. Do, do you know what I mean? It's not just church shopping. There are so many similarities between Elisha's ministry and the ministry of Christ. It's incredible. Both their names mean God is salvation. Both see the heavens open. Both raise a woman's son from the dead. Both feed groups of hungry people with miraculous provision. Both heal lepers. Both work in the region of the northern tribes. Both give sight to the blind. Both raise the dead after their own death. Even Elijah's grave, a guy pops back to life. <laughs> Both are betrayed for love of money. Elisha is teaching us about the servant heart of Christ. Amen. He's like a tiny prelude that, okay, even in dark times, I can raise up. And I'm going to raise up an even greater one than Elisha. There are parables involving servanthood mentioned over 103 verses in the Gospels. Son of man came not to be served, but to... Amen. Here's a quiz for you biblical scholar people. Which book of the Bible, and the band can't answer, talks about Christ as a servant more than any other book in the, in the 66 scriptures? Well done. Give her a clap. Like we say in medicine, we need to return to a working knowledge of Scripture, not just, not just an empty knowledge, but a working knowledge of Scripture. Um, so Isaiah is full of these 
allusions of Christ as a servant. Isaiah even has four songs. You can learn about them in Isaiah 42, 49, 51, 52, 59. It has four songs where Christ is actually speaking in the first person, singing as a servant, right? Through Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before he even appeared in history. I mean, this is just boom. This is just crazy stuff. And you can learn more about the heart of Christ and what he was doing in the Gospels by reading Isaiah, which is why so many people put it to music, by reading those servant songs. Um, So we go back to the scripture. So then Elijah says, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. If you didn't already know, the Jordan in the Old Testament is like a a spiritual marker between heaven and earth. It's... it's, it, it's laden with meaning in, uh, uh, in, in the Jewish worldview. Um, so again, Elijah does this thing, stay here. He secretly wants him to come, but he's not going to force him. He says, stay. I get young Christians, they come up to me and go, oh, you know, Dr. Down, I, I really want to serve. I want to serve. I want to do some mission. I want to help the Afghan. I want to help the Syrians. But, you know, no, I've never been, God's never called me or forced me or done anything to tell me. Elijah says, stay here. The Lord the Lord's sent me to the Jordan. And he, and he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Hallelujah. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, Elijah says, you have asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. So Elisha knows that God is generous and he's asking for a good thing. Generosity is the second core value of hills we're talking about today. Generosity is is good for you and it's good for those around you. Um, Many writers, Christian writers have said, generosity is the loudest non-verbal witness of the gospel. Because generosity suggests there's actually an overflow. There might be a supply out there. We don't have to fear limitation and death and running out of food and not be able to pay our mortgage. There actually could be a source of life, a fountain. Generosity is like a fountain. It's one of the most powerful witnesses we have. It tells us something about the nature of God. Remember when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I am who I am. In the Hebrew, that's an active verb. It doesn't just mean my name is what I think my name is. It's I am continually becoming into being because I'm becoming into being. I'm I'm eternally self-generating the source of all life. When we're generous, people begin to snatch that, wow, there there could be an unlimited supply coming from the source of life, coming from the creator. Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen. Many years ago, a young man from Flinders Uni started coming to our Bible study, led my, my dad who's here today. And he was really interested in becoming a Christian. He came from a really broken home, no father. And they were doing it really tough financially. And we would pray at the end of the Bible study and he would say, Lord, help me with this. He had this ambulance debt of 800 bucks. Remember when they introduced the ambulance fee? Reason some people have died in Sydney, by the way. I shouldn't talk about that. Um, and we, as a Bible study, we just quietly and quickly paid the debt out. A guy rang me five weeks ago. He now has three beautiful kids, beautiful Christian wife. He's just started a Bible study in his own home at Mitcham. And he said, Dan, when you guys paid that debt, I, it was the first time I experienced the love of Christ. And then he got baptised. South Australia is unique among states in having extremely generous founding mothers and fathers. I don't have time to go all through all this, but I'm interested in this stuff. There's a guy called Sir Thomas Elder. I don't know if he was an evangelical or what, Anglican or what, but he definitely had Christian sentiment. And he brought the Afghans over in 1866. He brought camels over. And he bequeathed out of his own personal fortune, not as a tax dodge, that didn't, that didn't exist back then, um, the Elder Conservatorium of Music, Barsmith Library, Adelaide Music, uh, Medical School. He bequeathed £98,000, which at that time is now worth £3.9 of his own money, just for the future and prosperity of South Australia. And a, small, a small colony, not a very rich, rich, rich colony. You can read about the lady that started Queen Victoria Hospital. Do you remember that near East, East Terrace? unbelievable story of generosity she had a heart for aboriginal women and country women that they would have a place to rest before they went into labor woman who started Cal calvary Cal calvary unbelievable christian generous person we rest on this generosity here we don't want to lose this generosity stops you from 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 blocking up in the in the health world in the de developing world uh we I think we've got a slide coming here. In the developing world, the most dangerous thing is stagnant water. There's about 19 diseases, dengue, yellow fever, malaria, you know, it goes on, hepatitis E. Hepatitis. Stagnant water kills communities. Flowing water saves communities. What do you want to be? It's hard for God to put into you if there's no exchange process, it's called velocity. If you study microeconomics, it's called velocity. If, if we all saved and all hoarded, none of us would have a job. Does that make sense? Because there'd be no circulation. That's why the Christian church in Acts is so phenomenal in Acts 4, because they're continually giving to one another. Hallelujah. You can't take it with you. Press down. What does Jesus say? Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together running over you see the fountain there's a, there's a fountain going on when we're generous um, so back to the scripture you've asked a difficult thing Elijah said yet if you see me when I'm taken from you it will be yours and as they were walking along and talking together you see the intimacy suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated two of them and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, 
the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own garment and tore it in two. Time for change. And then he picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So can you see suddenly the menial service of Elijah serving a person, Elijah, it's been transformed. The significance he now knows it wasn't all a waste. It wasn't a waste at all. You can unpack what his, his words in, in, in sermons for weeks. It's po- um, poets and theologians have described he's basically seeing his own father and Elijah not as his master but as his father. And at the same time, he's seeing God as his true father, all in one instance when he sees those angelic horses go by. What is the greatest need, the psychologists say, of every man and woman? It's to be accepted by the father. So can you see, God is not interested in service for the sake of service. With God, all service is for an end goal, a greater glory. And this is a theme throughout the scriptures. We don't have time to unpack them. But I'll give you three examples and you can meditate on this in in your own time. Anna, right, a widow, prophetess, 84 years. All she did was fast and pray in the temple. Fast and pray in the temple. No one to say good on you. No one to give her encouragement. And then she gets to see the baby Jesus and she prophesies throughout the whole of Israel. Stephen, one of the seven, not an apostle, right? Not an apostle, told, oh, you go and do feed the widows and serve tables. And he does it because he knows if you go low, you're beginning to approach the heart of Christ. What happens to Stephen? He sees the heavens open and he sees Jesus get up out of the chair to receive him. Philip, one of the seven meant to serve widows, serving food at tables, not an apostle, ends up getting translated from one part of Israel to another and, and heals thousands and thousands of people in Samaria and brings the gospel to Africa through the eunuch. You see how the lower we go, the more God can use us for his glory. And here we are complaining about the menial. Same with the disciples. Somehow in a mystery, there's a connection between the disciples imitating and being around Jesus. They're seeing him do things, serving him in simple ways. And then after he rose from the dead, he gives them the Holy Spirit, and now they know what to do. I do not believe Elisha could have received Elijah's spirit if he hadn't already been serving him in the mundane and the practical. So serving is win-win. As we're serving one another at hills, discipling one another, we with unveiled face are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory by the Lord, the Spirit. God is desperately trying to mature us so that we can reign with him in the ages to come. Hallelujah. We've got to get on with it. We've got to, we've got to look. If we, I meet Christians, oh yeah, I know the Bible. Yeah, I know everything. Yeah, I watch it on TV. Not involved in any community, in any out. How how can 
How can God teach that person the servant heart of Christ over 20 years if they refuse to be embedded in any community of love? How can he transform them? They just watch it all on television. Sorry, I'm getting... What we serve, we become. If you serve mammon, guess what? You become cold and hard. No one comes to rich people's funerals. Do you know that? We know that secret at the Ra. What we realise from Elisha's words when he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horses, he's now been validated that what Elijah had probably told him, that as they were doing their ministry, secretly behind the scenes, God was working. There were angelic forces working. The same angelic army that protected Israel from being defeated so many times. I've had the privilege of meeting Jews who were in the Six-Day War. It's another whole topic. We're not going to go into it. I'm not a Zionist. But they said we could not explain the fact we even survived. The angels, the captain of the Lord's hosts, whose feet are holy, had been working with them the whole time. If Elijah was here today, I bet you he would say, you open their eyes. Do you realize there's, a, there's an army of, of ministering spirits, winds of fire, who are trying to bring people in, working as we pray, as we serve, those ministering servants can serve. And the captain of that host whose sandals we are not worthy to untie is infinitely more powerful than the Taliban or a COVID outbreak or an army in the north. So you guys come to church to grab a coffee or see your friends, that's wonderful. Or do you want to serve the living Christ? At home, at work, is it just chores? Or will you give the Father permission to transform your heart as you're doing the menial? Before we close and pray, I want to touch on some practical points. I rushed over this before um, in the 9 a.m. service regarding a servant. Uh, number one, don't promise what you can't finish. Be authentic. Authentic is the, is the third value of hills that we're talking about today. Jesus is the most authentic man that ever walked this earth. The Antichrist, which there's many verses off in the Bible, will be the most inauthentic man that's ever walked this earth. But some people go for image and hype, don't they? Authenticity is a very important uh, value for millennials. You press on Jesus, you'll see the Father. You press harder, you get the release of the Spirit. Number two, in our service, we need to avoid burnout. I've talked about burnout. Don't just do things like a robot. Burnout leads to cynicism, and cynicism, cynical people aren't happy people. They don't have this sense of, wow, anything could happen. Maybe God could help there. Maybe I saw that prayer answered. We need to schedule and rest and beauty and fun. Babies help with that one. Uh, and, and, uh, and block out time just to enjoy, just to enjoy the Lord for who he is. When you serve whatever you do, let's do it unto the Lord. There's a famous story toward the end of the life of St. Francis Assisi, who I love, before the Reformation, so I'm allowed to talk about him. And he was tilling the field towards the end of his life. And one of his disciples comes along and goes, hey, why aren't you, why aren't you, going, why aren't you out serving the Lord? Why are you tilling the field? And he goes, I'm tilling the field 
unto the Lord. There's a difference, but only God knows, doesn't he? Okay, number, number four. Your servant identity in Christ is actually a secret, unbreakable strength and will keep you from innumerous despond, sloths, pits of depression, reckless dissolution. The rhythm of serving Christ keeps us in all the changes around us in, in life. Your obedience as a servant is your success, not the outcome, not the fruit, not how big your business is. God is not interested in the image we protect, project or how big our church is. Finally, anxiety um, can really strangle generosity. We've seen this in COVID. A lot of countries have pulled out their aid. When you're really worried about tomorrow yourself, it's extremely hard to be generous, isn't it? That's a whole other sermon, but, but Jesus really warns against anxiety and the strangling. Um, look up. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Your redemption is near. And finally, we are sovereign beings made in his image. What's happened to the young pastors that Dave Shepherd raised up? Amen. That's what will be important. Eye has not seen, ears not heard what God has prepared for those who love us. Do you want to park up at Bethel, Jericho? Or do you want to cross over? So Elisha picks up that mantle, he picks up that cloak that Elijah has prayed in, slept in walked Israel in rolls it up and he shouts out to the second heavens where is the God of Elijah gently places that mantle on the river and there his ministry begins in exactly the same place where Jesus' ministry begins crossing the Jordan and the darkness begins to tremble. Church, where is the God of Elijah in 2021? I tell you, he's right here with us. If only we begin to join the dots again. We need to raise and see that we are actually seated in heavenly places and our labor is not in vain. Whether it's doing the washing, picking someone up, moving them out of a car, um, returning an email. He's right here with us. His army is surrounding us. And this is just the beginning. So we're going to pray in conclusion for three things. First of all, if, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, but you're searching and you've been moved by what we're saying, we're going to pray that you would take a step of surrender. There's a prayer team in the corner after the service that would love to pray with you. Secondly, if you're a believer who has been serving in many ways, but you're beginning to feel weary, burnt out, dated, 
to pray that like Elisha, the Father would reopen your eyes and you would see the eternal significance of whatever it is that God would have you do in your life. It might be in this church, it might be outside the church, but it's service to a person, it's servants to Christ. Thirdly, if you've finished a season of serving in one type of capacity or another and you don't quite know what to do next, we're going to pray that the Father would open your eyes and show you where he's going. He might want you to, he may want you to rest and stay at Gilgal or, or Jericho. But more often than not, he's already moving over here. But he won't force us. He won't force us to go to the Jordan, will he? But he wants us to get there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank your scriptures alive and your stories are even more relevant as we as we track through history. Father, we give you praise and glory for the revelation of fatherhood that you've shown us through Elisha, through Elijah, and through Jesus, who came to show us the love of the Father. Father, we ask if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, may have a religious affiliation, but doesn't have a living relationship with the resurrected Christ, Father, we pray, open their hearts, give them confidence to step forward and surrender. Father, we pray that all of those who are weary and burnt out and have just been going through the motions, we pray, ask you would break that cycle, Holy Spirit, and they would begin to re-see the eternal value of what you have in store for us, beginning with our heart's transformation on earth, that we would truly rule and reign with you in the ages to come. Father, show us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and unveil, like you did to Elisha, the significance of the mundane and the menial and the ordinary. And finally, we ask God, there's people that are wondering in the next direction of their lives, where they should go, what they should do next. Father, we pray they would not just stay and park up, but they would see your voice, for your sheep hear your voice, and you would show them personally what you want them to do and how you want to get them to Jordan, crossing over into the promised land where the God of Elijah is working with his people. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.